I want to invite you to the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs online community. Inside this community, we can take the EHAN assessment, and that's what all of this is based on. It's a self-assessment that we should be doing about every 12 weeks to evaluate how satisfied we are in our health, our wealth, our relationships, recreation, and our business. The goal is to live a satisfied life. So go ahead, join the community, do the assessment, and go ahead and sign up for that blind spot call. That'll get us one-on-one -on -one talking about your assessment so you can get a better perspective and so you can set the best goals possible. All right, all the links are in the show notes. Enjoy the show. And it's, it's so tough because I know we're, we're all geared and that's, that's how we keep scores entrepreneurs. And so when we, when that's not, when you see, when you see that something's not sustainable, your goal is to how quickly can I fix it and how quickly can I get back to where I was? Yeah. And so, or where I felt like I should have been. And a lot of that is all up here you know, with how we, how we look at it all in our own head of mm -hmm. what we feel like we should have been at. But, um, and that's why I'm so passionate about getting this message out is because this is a easy way to where if you will follow the wealth pyramid you will be able to have dependable, predictable cash flow. It protects you in so many different situations and it gives you the ability to do what you want to do, which is take advantage of opportunity. In my opinion, Samuel Prentice is a wealth wizard. His entire goal when working with clients is to simplify their wealth management process to improve their quality of life. I can't believe how well he simplifies the topic of wealth creation in this episode, and I don't think I'll ever look at the way I build my own wealth the same. I hope you enjoy this episode with Samuel Prentice from My Wealth CEO. My name is Tim Palladino, and this is the Entrepreneurial Hierarchy of Needs podcast. All right, Samuel Prentice, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we've known each other for quite a while. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah. No, it, it's good to reconnect, and it's it's kind of funny here. I think this is the first time we've talked in in maybe a year and a half or so. But I've, I've followed you, and I've gotten to I've gotten to just recently. I cracked off the shrink wrap on on the side hustle game because I've oh, been yeah. a, I've been oh, a yeah, fan yeah. of that from day one, from whatever the first name was to where it's at now. I've been looking forward to playing it. Yep, and we have actually a new version coming out. We're doing yeah really? we're, we're yeah we're doing a whole. Um, uh, footprint issue, like where we're we're reducing the size of it, reducing the waste. Yeah, so we're trying to trying to take care of Mama Earth uh, and make it awesome, a much man. more fun game. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I appreciate your support, man, from the top, from the top. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is man. I'm I'm so excited to be on this podcast because I, I we just mentioned just a minute ago here. I I am uh, uh, such a believer in what you're doing here. Like this is something I've been having these conversations for the last three years with with my clients across the board. Because there's so much more to life than just like I work specifically mm. on the money side, but there's so much more to it that I think that when we neglect that, we, we miss out on lots of the development, lots of just the opportunity to, to be the best version of yourself. And that's something that, man, your, your mission couldn't respect it more and couldn't be more supportive of it. Super excited for what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that to the, the fullest, you know, just hearing that, you know, I don't hear it much, but when I do hear it, like it, yeah. it kind of shakes me, man. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like it hits me, it hits me in the heart. And that's cool. It should. You're, you're I, doing, you're doing work here that man, not, not many people are doing. And it's something that, that it is difficult in the entrepreneurial world. We world, we all want to have all the answers. We want to have it all right. put yeah. together. And so someone who's willing to be real and have like these visceral conversations that kind of challenge beliefs or yeah. that, that provide new insights, man, that's not, not an easy job. And it's something that, man, it, it can make a huge, huge impact. And I, I think that that's a, a 
very cool opportunity, but also something you should take seriously and I respect that you do. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I try and be, I try and be the Guinea pig, not the guru. Like these are where I'm, I don't understand things. So I'm just going to get professionals to help me understand things. And hopefully we understand them together. And then like like, paired with the assessment, like they'll know how severe it is if they have to worry about their health or their wealth, or, uh, you know, say they fall somewhere short on their wealth. They'll know this is an important episode to listen to, to get me, you know, started or accelerate what I've already started to, to kind of like blossom my understandings. So yeah, dude, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, yeah. yeah, couldn't be happier. Let's, uh, let's try and make some, some people multiply their money. Let's do it. Yeah. So I, I'm going to do this because you, if you have questions that you want to try to ask, you think would help your audience, sure. that's the case. I'm going to set a little bit of context and then kind of lay out content after that Beautiful. to kind of give yeah. a, a clean, easy framework for you to flow through. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I have nothing, like I have no agenda. <laughs> I never have any agenda to have this problem. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> I like to share what I think would would help people in general and then and, and then ask the information there. And so, yeah, well, so we'll go through it. So the context behind this is I've been doing this for like a decade, you know, almost, I guess, closer to a decade and a half now. And so I have gotten to go the whole gamut of like young 20 year old Sam was gung ho. He's like, Oh, we're going to get all this stuff done. We're going to get all this research. And I'm going to not only research everything, but I'm going to make sure that everybody I work with gets to see all this brilliant research. So they know all the ins and outs mm-hmm. and can make perfect decisions. Cause the goal is not to tell people what to do, but it's to empower people to make good decisions with their money. Absolutely. And I, I like that. And I, I still, 20-year-old Sam had some of those things right. The challenge is, is nobody has the capacity, whether it's time, mental margin, or, or resources to go and dig through all of that same stuff, the same level that I would want to. And so yeah. finding a way to actually like simplify building wealth down to like practical, meaningful steps is something I've spent the last three years on because I went through, I actually went through a similar thing that I know that, that every entrepreneur has gone through of that either burnout or real close to burnout, where yeah. I got to a point where I, it wasn't a money problem. So money was there, but it mm-hmm. was an impact problem. Cause I think that's kind of the journey we all go through as we go yeah. from making enough money to survive, making enough money to live life the way you really want to live life. And then it's like, well, shoot, I actually want to do something. So now it's about impact. And you kind of make that transition over time as we go up that hierarchy of needs and in our money. Mm-hmm. And, and like, so, so I was there, I was sitting there looking at all the clients I'd talked to. We'd have great conversations. We'd connect, we'd have good conversations. I would be like, man, I left them with a lot of good information. We would talk a year later and very little would have gotten done. And we'd, we'd ask why. And I was like, well, we started and then this came up or this came up or my attorney yeah. didn't understand what we were talking about. My CPA didn't understand. Nobody coordinated together. And this poor entrepreneur in the middle, who's trying to deal with all the other things that pull away from their mental margin, other yeah. areas is trying to coordinate all that together. And so I just, I, I had enough of those conversations that I just kind of got a frustration point and said, well, this is just not right. So I kind of took a step back, really, really weighing down my acquisition of clients, you know, with intentionality to that of saying, I really want to acquire fewer clients and make sure the ones I am acquiring, I'm, I'm dealing with and leaving an impact to. And, uh, and what I learned is that by simplifying the wealth planning thing down to like the structural mechanics of wealth, it makes it a lot easier because then that simplified process can apply to all types of wealth building, whether it's your personal mm. balance sheet, your business, your, your trust, your charitable entities, all those things kind of follow the same model. So I'm going to share that with you. And I don't think I have yet to share this on a podcast. Well, all right. And it's, 
it's one because I like you a lot. I genuinely actually really find it most <laughs> entertaining. So, so that, that's actually true. That. And, and then two, mm. additionally true is just that I just haven't, I just haven't uh, really been in, in a mode to do that because one of the things about podcasts is, is I, in the past, I did podcasts for the purpose of lead acquisition. And so I probably mm. have a slight mental block is I, I am happy to help anyone. I had a call the other day with somebody and, and I, when I was done, I said, listen, in this hour long call, I'm going to tell you everything you do with your life. And we're going to leave it at that. And then you don't really need anything else from me because it's not the right time to work anymore. So one of the things I love about podcast is the ability to like share a lot of information to a big group of people, make a big impact, but that's where I can like kind of bring value and then leave it and then not feel, and then there's not a whole lot of, you know, follow up past that, that pulls away mm-hmm. from, you know, the mental matter. So yeah. this is exciting for me because it's kind of a fill in one of my goals is when I have people that maybe aren't quite right for private advice where they don't want to spend, you know, X amount of dollars a month to have someone tell them what to do with their finances, but they want to go dig it up themselves. This content lives in a place that they can do that. And I, I, yeah. I think you're giving me a great opportunity too, because it, it gets something off of my plate where I can share. If I were trying to tell someone how to build the basic building blocks of how to build wealth and not just when you have nothing and are starting from scratch, but also this is the same talk I have with my clients who've exited for you know, 10, 15, $20 million is they, we all, they all have the same fears of the person who has $10,000 to the name. And that fear is that yeah. what if what I have is not sustainable? And I think that as entrepreneurs, we are so wired for sustainability in mm-hmm. that whole hierarchy of the needs. And I, I feel so comfortable talking to you about this because I think you've been down this journey so much. It's oh, like, God, yeah. That, that whole sustainability, because you want sustainability with your health, you realize if you don't keep a, a routine with your health, your exercise and diet, uh, sleep patterns, all those things, if that routine doesn't happen, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And our entrepreneurial brains, the way that we are wired, hear that and it's like red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah, it's scary. And <clears throat> that triggers you into stress, which does not make you eat healthier, exercise more, or sleep better. Yep. And, and start, same yep. thing. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, like, it's a game of whack-a-mole. <laughs> Right. Like we worked so hard on our business. Like that's what brought me to this point is I worked so hard on my business. Everything started suffering. So I started focusing on everything else. And then my business started suffering and it's like, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm a problem solving machine. Like why can't, why can't I have all of it? Like, and it was just, and it just took me years and maybe a breakdown or two (laughs) to, to to really like put pen to paper and be like, all right, this is my path. So it was kind of like creating a business plan for my life. It, it, it is. And that's what I liked about it is you found a way to simplify it down where you say, okay, if I want to have a sustainable life in all of these areas, here's kind of the, the framework. And it's a, it is, if nothing else, it is a plan. And you try to simplify it as much as possible because mm-hmm. our brains, as many problems we can solve, we just can't deal with them all at once. You've got to triage and have yeah. a way, like have a process for it. So I found that to be really, really true with wealth is because in our brains and entrepreneur brains, there is this, there's this trigger that happens is like when you get to a point where you say, Hey, I have hit sustainable cash flow that lets me live life on the terms that I want to live it on. Your brain goes, ding, 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 you've done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that, like seeing people get to that, that knowledge, and sometimes it's not even a big change, it's just like understanding how the money works and having a system. Boom, it opens that up. And then once that ding, ding, ding has happened, that person is, is ready to go make their impact on the world. It's, it's pretty cool what it does. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's quite literally the, the position that I took. Once I sold my company, um, yeah. I kind of, I lost purpose for a little bit, but I had that, yep. that ding moment where I was like, oh, everything's different now. 
Yeah. It's not about, it's not about the dollars in the ba- bank. Like I've, I've checked that off. It's about what am I doing with my life? Like mm-hmm. as you start asking the true existential questions on where's my journey going? Like, where am I, where, where am I pointing to? Because if you don't point someone else will, and you go that direction. Absolutely. So hyperintentionality <laughs> is super important and it's, yeah. it's a big responsibility yep. for you and yep. your community, you know, a hundred percent to whom much is given much is required. I think that is true regardless Ooh, of that's your good. affiliation. Yeah. But, um, so I didn't, I didn't think that up. I'm pretty sure someone else thought that up. Oh, you totally just kind of coined it. So that being said, okay, so I'm going to drop some stuff here because I think this sure. is like, this is on my mind. And this is something that I've seen be really, really impactful. And so we have, and I've kind of designed uh, this talk around, it's called the wealth pyramid. Mm-hmm. And it's because it is a structurally stable way to build wealth. So at the base of this pyramid, we want to have liquidity. The reason you have liquidity at the base is because liquidity is again, from a, from a financial aspect is what lets you mitigate risk when challenges happen higher up, whether it's interruption sure. of income, interruption of uh, cash maintenance requirements, whatever it is in the above assets that are above liquidity, liquidity helps you fix problems, mitigate risk. It's important psychologically because I think that any entrepreneur who says they can look at the bank account and see zero and be okay is lying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you need cushion to be comfortable. It just is what it is. And I think that we operate better from that position. Um, after that, so after liquidity, the next thing we're trying to do is create cash flow. So that's the next tier up in the puzzle. And so cash flow are things that provide us with consistent income, you know, from diversified portfolios, whether that's, you know, diversified businesses or dividend paying stocks or real estate is one of the typical things that I like to use, you know, debt, you know, you know, secure debt from, you know, good paper that we can create cash flow payments off of that lets us generate cash flow to replace the income that we're earning from other active activities. The reason this is really important, and like this is, I'm going to stop before I get to the last part because everybody wants to do the last part first. Um, mm. It's speculation, but we'll get there in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reason, like the first two levels are most important, is because as we widen our cash flow, let's just take real estate for example. That's something everybody can kind of understand yeah. and see like how this works. When you go buy a million dollars of real estate, you create cash flow, which is good, but you also create the potential for tenants to move out and you have, you know, vacancy, you also create some maintenance concerns, those kind of things, all of which over a long period in time are no big deal. As long as you have bought right and, you know, keep the right amount of reserve and liquidity in place. The issue where people come into play or the issue comes into play where people lose money is when you don't have enough liquidity to, to bolster yourself in the event of a cash flow interruption mm-hmm. and a potential like li- liability that happens with rent property. Well, now you have to sell that cash flowing asset potentially for a discount. And so where you see things happen is like when you go through recessions or market bubbles happen, people who are not liquid are forced to fire sell assets to people who are. So finding that right balance where you don't stay overly liquid and earn 0% on a great portion of your portfolio, but creating that cash flow is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And psychologically, like waking up and knowing that your cash flow, this cash flow number right here is enough to supply for your, and I use three numbers. There's kind of the, there's the security number that says that you don't go broke and you can live mm-hmm. life comfortably. Then there's the ideal life number and not the Lamborghini number. This is like, you can travel, you can spend time with your, your friends. Yeah. You can do live life on your terms. That's the comfort number. And then there's kind of your impact number. This the, you know, out there where you say, Hey, like now I'm looking at what can I do to really impact the people around me and all those things. 
I think we kind of have to check each of those boxes off in that order. But when you know that like your security number to your uh, lifestyle number, when you're somewhere in between that space, your mind just kind of gives you, it's like, okay, you can relax a little bit. You can start focusing on the next step, that next level. But I think when people try to go from insecure to impact, we, we miss that gap of what needs to happen. Yeah. Coming from a construction and real estate background myself, it's foundation frame then roof. Yeah. And that, yeah. and then that creates the envelope. It, it does. Yeah. It does. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. That, that, that's a good one. I'm actually going to steal that one. If that's okay. Take it, take it, put your name on it. It's cool, man. It's oh man. But yeah, but no, and that's, that's the thing is like from building the wealth standpoint, if we have liquidity first and then we have cash flow, and we make sure those two things widen, what will happen is your cash flow can then be reinvested back into liquidity till you have enough extra liquidity out here mm-hmm. to add to this pyramid. And over time, you'll start to see it take shape where eventually we have enough cash flow where it replaces our income. And we can then choose, you can take this cash flow and you can spiral it up to speculation. This is things, the, the definition of speculative investments are things that you buy today and hope to sell for more tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. you know, currencies, gold and silver, angel investments, um, land, all those things that don't have a cash flow component are, are by nature, you know, speculative things. And some of them have got different risk profiles and, and all sorts of all sorts of decisions to make on that. But in my mind, what makes this simple is you deal with your needs first. And your need is to say, no matter what, if I have everything go away tomorrow, my risk mitigated portfolio of real estate, dividend paying stocks and, you know, debt is going to pay for my life. And I can be comfortable knowing that that makes sure I'm never going to be poor. That is psychologically, I think, such a huge, huge thing. And it's the sustainability. Because if you say, I live on $150,000 a year and I have $160,000 of after-tax income coming in, you're like, this is sustainable. I can be comfortable with this. This is good. And you know, with things like, like real estate, that's going to have not only the cash flow component that lives today, but it's also ticking the box of you want to have appreciation. So you'll have appreciation, principal mm-hmm. pay down. It's tax efficient. Those things like that wealth building process of building liquidity, cash flow, speculation. If we follow that, it is a dependable structure that we can work on over and over again. Yeah, it's um, and I like how there's layers too, because mm-hmm. if 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 one starts to to crumble, it's caught by others. You know, right. if you're too exposed yeah. with speculation, you have cash flow to to protect you. Even if it goes down 50%, you're still good because you have liquidity to carry you over until you can rebuild that structure. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's all about the safety nets. And here's, I'll even go one step further is if you think about it in terms of gambling. So it's like, if you're going to roll mm-hmm. the die and, and all of these are die roll, your liquidity is it says, well, if you roll one through six, you still have the same amount of money you have. So it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The, the cash flow is like, well, if you roll a one through five, you're probably going to win off of this. So it's a very low risk proposition because it's going to continue to cash flow. And even, even then it's like, well, as long as you can keep rolling, you're going to keep having cash flow. So even if we lose value in our property, as long as we can hold it for 10 years, positive bias, the market will probably bring it back around. The, the speculation is more of like a, you roll one and six, you roll a one, you're going to win. Well, that's a 16% chance. If you can roll the die 10 times, odds are you're going to win one of them. So that works out fine. So as long as the return is great enough, that's good. The problem is the road is littered with people who wanted to speculate first, put all their eggs in one basket. It didn't work. The only people you hear about who speculated and did well are the ones who, who like did well, they can afford a blog. There's plenty of people who can't afford a blog who, mm-hmm. who had bad stories. But if you do this in this order, 
if your cash flow comes in and you don't need it to live on, you can speculate with it. It can go right up here. If you lose all of that, guess what happens next year? You have a new pile of money to go try this game again with. So instead of you yeah. using, you know, using up all your dry powder on the spins, you're creating new dry powder each year. And that new dry powder gives you the ability to continue to play this game. And that's ding, 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 that's sustainable. Yeah. And inside creating dry powder, there's tactics to multiply the dry powder, like, uh, like grants and, uh, oh, tax yeah. credits. And like, it's one of the things, so my mom, uh, when I'm growing up, my mom did taxes and then she eventually became mm -hmm. an enrolled agent. So I, I okay. totally nerded out with her about this stuff. That's awesome. And one of the things is that the, the, that a lot of people will argue against, but I've seemed to see this firsthand with how I've run my businesses. You know, we had seven figure businesses mm -hmm. and the tax code is in everyone's favor. It's not against oh, yeah. anyone. It's, 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 it's a, it's a book, a big fat book of too many pages of, of uh, incentivized uh, actions. So and once you understand exactly right. the, what, what it is they want you to do, that's how you win. It's like, I wouldn't play any game without reading the rule book. And that's, that's what I, I like the way you said that. Cause it's, you said the tax code is incentivized in people's favor. It took me a second to comprehend that. Cause I don't know that taxes are incentivized in people's favor, No, but the tax code, code is hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Yeah. Cause yeah. taxes are simple. You make X, you pay Y. How, yeah. However, the tax code is all the things that the government thinks they want you to do, which is why it's really, I love, I love this study is seeing like you can tell the priorities of an administration based on where their tax goes lie. And mm -hmm. so you can kind of see like, Hey, are we, are we more themed around green energy, you know, things, or are we more themed yep. around, reinvestment back in the economy or real estate or all these. It's very interesting to understand the priorities of administrations based on the way that they adjust and change tax codes. Yeah. And so I, I completely agree with that. We, we really had a big shift in 2017 in the way that tax incentives were, were structured because it went from being more of like a production tax to a consumption tax, where yeah. if you reinvest, there were so many ways, so many angles to take to reduce your tax burden. Um, that's a whole different talk, but that's something that's also oh, really way important to me. different. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it all links together in the whole sustainability mindset. Yep. And so, and, and I'll, I'll come back to the pyramid in a second, maybe talk about like what flows in each thing. I think that might be helpful. I wanted to talk structure, kind of give that context, but then I'll yeah. give some content specifically. But like just the sustainability pieces, when you look at building wealth, one way people take is saying, I want to get that extra return. So if I have, I'm saving $100,000 a year, $10,000, or whatever your number is, $5,000 a year, $2,000 a year. I'm saving this money and I want to earn the best return I can. So instead of me earning a 6% return, I'm going to earn an 8% return because that's a 33% better return. How exciting is that? Well, you know, it's still, that, that's 2% greater on say it's $100,000 is $2,000 of extra cash that that brings in. That same person is probably expending in, in some waste uh, whether it's due to taxes or debt service or, or other areas, losses that are taking place that are unnecessary is probably expending, you know, that same, you know, if they're saving a hundred, they're probably expending maybe $50,000 of waste. So if we can find 10% waste to reduce, then it means you're actually reducing your outflow $10,000, yeah. which is way more impactful than focusing on trying to increase a little bit on the savings over here. Not that you can't and shouldn't do both. It's just when we have all of our wealth stored in a bucket and there's leaks in the bucket, one way to fix it is to dump more water in the top faster. The other way is to just plug the leaks and, and yep. plug in the leaks. A lot of times, one of our biggest leaks is taxes. It's taxes, debt service, and market losses. If we can reduce those things 
and cut that out, it's like, well, shoot, all of a sudden this game becomes a lot easier. It's much yeah. more sustainable. We're not having to play twice as hard to keep level. We, we you know, reduce the leaks. And then even if we have a trickle of new income, we're going to be able to build that bucket up a lot faster. Yeah, it, it's, um, I think the, the biggest impact is not you, how you use the money, but how you manage it. Yeah. Right. Because you can, you can out lose your wins real fast. Oh, uh, I've done 100%. it. I've done it a hundred percent thing. And I was, you know, I'm making all these good decisions and I wasn't managing it. And it was yeah. because I wasn't managing, you know, nearly bled to death, but financially, obviously. Yeah. No, um, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so tough. Cause I know we're, we're all geared and that's, that's how we keep scores entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so when we, when that's not, when you see, when you see that something's not sustainable, your goal is to how quickly can I fix it and how quickly can I get back to where I was? Yeah. And so, or where I felt like I should have been. And a lot of that is all up here I mean, with how we, how we look at it, all in our own head of mm-hmm. what we feel like we should have been at. But, um, and that's why I'm so passionate about getting this message out is because this is a easy way to where if you will follow the wealth pyramid, you will be able to have dependable, predictable cash flow. It protects you in so many different situations and it gives you the ability to do what you want to do, which is take advantage of opportunity. Because if we follow this along the way, when we can go buy significant cash flow at a value, like right now is a perfect example. We can't buy cash flow at a great value right now. Um, Very few areas can we buy cash flow at even a decent value. And so, because we just have a lot of capital floating around because, you know, somebody not going to say who likes to print money. And so we're, <laughs> we're, we're printing a lot of money right now. And a lot of stuff's floating around. So everybody's kind of flush. Um, yeah. See how long it lasts, but that's, that's the case there. That's a, again, another longer term discussion, but when that happens, it's harder to buy cash flow, And so yeah. maybe we focus a little bit more on liquidity and we try to make sure we keep our liquidity earning as much as possible. So that when there is a pullback, you can go buy cash flow at a discount, buy lots of it and go from there. Yeah. And I think that's, there's a, a potential with that situation that you're just talking about for people to mm-hmm. make the wrong step and jump into speculation because if the value yes. of their dollars are going down, they're going to try and find something that's countering it and mm-hmm. moving it into a different direction to kind of win back plus inflation. It, it is. And you're playing that catch up game and it's something that it's, it's a, it's a, it, when you're investing out of pure fear, I, I'm not as comfortable with, with that. And I think that here's, here's my mindset. If your fear is inflation, if you go through this, the problem is, is what you have to do is be able to identify what's motivating your decisions. And that's something where this yes. leaves being a financial planning discussion and much more into a psychology discussion, which I personally absolutely love <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I think it's just so cool to understand why we do what we do. I already know how to make money. Now it's like, well, how do we make money and also make sure that our quality of life is on point? And so that's where we, you know, you need the clarity piece and understanding why you do what you do. It's all key there. But like, take the inflationary concern. If that's the concern and saying, okay, I'm out here. I just made $3 million from selling my business, or I just made $30,000 or whatever my number is. I have this cash and I'm worried that in a year, it's going to be worth half as much if I don't do something today. First off, probably an unrealistic fear, but you know, even if it is, what if you followed the model I'm talking about here of the wealth pyramid and you said, I need to live on $120,000 a year, $10,000 a month means that I am comfortable. So what we are going to do and $120,000 of today's money, not tomorrow's money. So we, we yep. get that piece. So you go out here and you say, well, I have $3 million. I need to live on 120. I am going to take a million of that and go buy real estate and create $80,000 of cash. I'm going to take 500,000 of that and go buy debt. I'm going to create $40,000 of cash flow. 
I now have my 120 from diversified sources and I have an extra, you know, uh, 1.5 of liquidity to do it as I please. I can take five of that and put it up here in speculation. So I have one, I have two, and then I have uh, five at the very top. Is that right? I'm not sure if I did that math right. Bear with me. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So, so that being said, so now you've got your speculation up here and that could be, let's just say that the speculation point is we, we decided to put it into a mixture of land, gold and silver and crypto. And we'll mm -hmm. say annual investments. And so you put, those are your speculative things. You put your, you put your cash flow into real estate and debt and you put your, your liquidity, you put that into mutual funds, savings account, cash value, life insurance, all things that are highly, highly liquid. That's kind of your levels that you have there. Mm -hmm. Well, if we go through a period of a massive inflation, you know, your speculation will do whatever it does at that point in time, because it's tied to some hard assets and who knows what will happen with like the more speculative things like a crypto market or whatnot there. But even your, your basic of just your cash flow that's being created, if all you did was just create the cash flow, your real estate is something that is well hedged against inflation itself mm -hmm. because we borrowed it with today's <clears throat> dollars and we leveraged it heavily. So that debt is a hedge against inflation. We have land and actual physical commodities that as things go up in price should increase and appreciate in value as well. And that entire time we have cash flow that should also increase based on a, a, a depreciation of the dollar. So as it devalues, yeah. we should be able to increase the cash flow because rents should go up across the board. That's just the way that money works. So you actually, by doing these things, you, you, do, you do protect yourself from that concern. Now, the flip side of that concern is that, well, what if I deploy all my money today? I just made money because the market was doing well. If I deploy it all tomorrow in another part of the the economy, but it's still at the same timeline of the economic cycle. Well, am I just selling high and buying high? Wouldn't it be better if I bought some low? And that's why it's nice to mix that up. Whereas we expand yeah. wider, we put money into liquidity so that we can dollar cost average into the market cycle. It, it's, as it, you start going through the challenges that happen in building wealth, this is the framework within which you can expand so, so, so much. But this framework, you will see this happen in every business. Every business needs to have liquidity, cash flow, and then it's big wins along the way. Every yeah. trust needs to have that same thing. Every individual needs to have it. And if you build that framework, it's just so stable. It's psychologically so healthy for entrepreneurs. And it's, it's one thing that I've seen just make, make such a huge difference, even though a lot of times balance sheets are more set up that way. But thinking about like all the different fears that we have and saying, well, how am I protected? If I follow this model, does it protect me? And when the answer is, well, 95% of the things you're concerned about are protected in this model, it's just like, oh, I, I can quit devoting all my mental margin to that and focus my mental margin on creating more of what got me here in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, it's, so true. So quarterly, well, every 12 weeks-ish, so it's not quite mm -hmm. quarterly, but um I do, I do a new budget and stuff like that. And I notice emotionally, right. I have, yeah. when I first do it, I have super high confidence and the longer yeah. I wait to do it again, I, yep. it starts getting a little mucky, right. Because I have, it gets fuzzy. New things yeah. New, yeah. New things and new yeah. accounts. And, and then it gets yeah. to a point where you just can't grasp it anymore. Cause all of your energy is focused on what I'm trying to build. You know, we're, we're yeah. we lean forward as entrepreneurs and, we just leave this stuff behind. So we, it's something that we just have to, we have to take personal responsibility to manage. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. And, and I, I will say, a house budget. Yeah. And I, th I think that that's something that at all levels. So 
kind of the hierarchy of a uh, hierarchy. I keep using that word because you've got it stuck in my head, but kind of like the, <laughs> the person, the, the, the level, I guess that people work through is at first, like your first thing is getting your house budget set up. And then, you know, after that, you know, maybe, maybe your job is with your business to work with like a fractional CFO or something to kind of help with some of that coordination. Cause I do believe there's a lot of strength in having additional viewpoints and coordination brought to you because at the end of the day, here is something you can take to the bank. The only person you can 100% guarantee has your best interest at heart is you. And so you have to realize that piece of it, but you can get good people to help advise you along the way. And that, that phrase actually sticks in my crowd a little bit. I can tell by your facial reaction, like, wait a sec, is that right? And it is true. It's the only person you can 100% guarantee. I believe I have pure intentions. I believe you have pure intentions. I believe yeah. lots of people have good pure intentions, but at the end of the day, it is also psychologically healthy for you to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But you also know it's not sustainable because once you actually build real wealth, it's not sustainable for you to have your finger in every pie for you to try to be coordinated between your tax professionals and your legal professionals and your operational teams and your business and all those things mm-hmm. that just puts you in the middle and it puts you away from putting your foot on the gas. And it's such a waste because like that, I see so many entrepreneurs get crushed by trying to manage everything because they are a solopreneur for managing the wealth and they really need to bring in team and, and create team to support that. But early on, like when you're building your wealth, make sure you do your house budget, you know, making sure you know what money comes in, where it's going and have a plan for how you're paying yourself and paying for your future. Um, looking for efficiency, looking for where are we wasting money? Like where are we paying things out that we would like to not pay out? doesn't mean you can always fix it. Like if you're paying $10,000 of tax and you're, you're a W2 employee, Go start a business, create some losses, you know, like, like take the, yep. take the risk of that because at a very worst thing, you're playing with house money for part of that risk that's being put in play. And so speaking I, my it, language right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's... just not difficult, but that's like piece one is look for where we can eliminate it. Then piece two is maybe look for what team you can put in play with my clients. Like well, once we get to a certain level, like my program that I offer for high, high net worth clients, which is usually like five million of net worth and up as I do what's called the Wealth CEO program. And this is something mm. that you don't necessarily, I mean, there's plenty of people who do, I think, similar thing. Not really, actually. This is a gap in the marketplace. So the <laughs> gap that I see is that there are not, like, this is what this is what started this. This is how this baby was birthed. We have plenty of time. I'll go through this quick. Oh, yeah. Let's rock. Same thing I said at the beginning of the podcast. Conversations would happen. Nothing, no action wouldn't be taken because not that they didn't understand it. It was just didn't have the capacity to get all of the team players in line. And so I finally said, hey, what if you just paid X amount of dollars a month for my advice? I will give it to you. And then if you like it, I'll help you implement it. And if you ever get tired of this, it's month to month. So walk away and do whatever else you want. But I don't want to feel like I'm selling you things. And I don't want to have my income tied to what you do and don't buy. And I don't want to give you advice and then have you figure out how to implement it and waste your time potentially doing it wrong. And then we have to go back and fix it. And so I said, what if we just did it right from day one, everybody's life was better. We made more impact and we all got to enjoy our life more and have more fun. And I had that kind of aha moment. And I put that in front of a few clients and they said, Sam, this is exactly what I want. I am so frustrated trying to get this person to talk to this person and this person, talk to this person and the calls with you are great. But then I try to take that back and repeat it to this person and communicate this. And by the time we're done playing this, morbid game of password with, with my professionals and my money. It's so distorted that nothing ever happens. So I'm like, well, that's not what I want because it's not the original vision that was there. 
And yeah. so now I just said, well, how about this? If this is all your people around you in this big circle and all your professionals are digging into you, you're going to step off to the side. You're going to put in a CEO for your money, just like you hire a CEO for your business. You control the business. You control the money. That's still your yeah. job. But you get to have someone with a Rolodex, with experience to come in and take some of that load off of you on a fractional basis. And then you can run off that. And that's, that is for me, man, honestly, and this is not what the podcast is about, but that is for me as freed up so much of my mental margin because instead of me feeling like I had to do like, it's all about making sure you feel like you've delivered enough value to your people. Cause that's something I always struggle with in a personal relationship is I want to give so much value, but without the right containers, you're always, you're always chasing. Is it enough value? Is this person happy? Is this person unhappy? Setting the good container around it, like boundaries actually are so, so key, whether it's in your money management, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your, you talked about on the podcast, so I can say it, whether yeah. it's in your sex life, like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like what boundaries lets you do is they let you explore things to the fullest, or it lets you interact to the fullest. I can not explore, interact to the fullest because without yep. a boundary, you're always in that timid mode of should the person or the client be contacting Sam? Should I be contacting the client vice versa? But when you set those boundaries in place, you're really able to say, Hey, I know what I should be asking for. And so it creates such a healthy interaction when it's done right. And that's something I think as entrepreneurs, we are used to in early stages of our career, setting mm -hmm. porous boundaries because you say yes to everything because you're never sure where opportunity lies. As you get a little bit more disciplined, I see you nodding your head because you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you get a little more disciplined, you start like getting those boundaries a little more rigid. It's not that you want to say no to things. It's that you realize for you to make the impact you know in the world, you have to learn how to put containers around the right things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at uh, boundaries as um, an agreement, mm -hmm. like just a simple agreement. Like that's where I'm, I'm drawing a line. I'll, I'll dance with it. I'll keep on having these conversations with this boundary to see if I have to move it up or pull it back. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. You have to have a yeah. high, uh, high, high level relationship with it, but that's, that's what it is. Like, yeah, and it. just so you, you just don't spin out of control, you know? And, um, yeah, back to what you were saying before with the with the um, the growing growing into these boundaries and, and keeping them as you grow. It's it's a lot of people are very fast and loose when when they're starting businesses, and that's okay. Like I didn't understand boundaries until I was probably thirty. Like you know what I mean? Like, like until today, just, years old. <laughs> yeah, until today, years old. Exactly. Yeah, I just white knuckled through everything until yeah. I finally yeah. got the understanding of like, okay, so if I'm going to work with a lawyer. I need to learn the lawyer language. You know, I need to not use something uh, from, I'm trying to think of a good example, like, like, um, like exposure in dollars versus legal. Yeah. Yeah. So that means how much money's available. And, and so it just did totally, totally different terming that you don't want to, you don't want to mix. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's just, it's always like, as you level up, you have to have to learn new things. And then you have to also mm -hmm. find that team to make that happen. So no, man, yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. So um, let's do this is let me, let me give a couple more thoughts. And then maybe if you have any questions you want to want to go through here, we're happy to do it. But sure. basically in that whole building the wealth pyramid, the, the order of what I would look at doing there. And like, here's what I personally use for this. And this is just across the board is at the base for my liquidity. I store that in cash. I store it in, in very, very few like liquid, liquid-ish stocks that I'm comfortable with their risk profile. Yeah. They're like MLPs that are tax efficient. And then lastly is mostly cash value life insurance. And, and th that's a long conversation 
because I did that for a day. I still have the ability to do it um, for decades. And there's so many ways to do it wrong, but when it's done right, and I actually have a video I did with somebody else that I think, you know, and a real basic video of saying you, when you build a life insurance policy, you should have 80% of it liquid in year one at minimum. You should be able to break even by no later than year five. And you should have in by the end of 20 years, you should have a long-term expense ratio of less than 20%. That's the data. And if someone is, is listening to this podcast and is trying to figure out if they're getting screwed or not, use that. Checkpoint one, 80% liquid year one. Checkpoint two, break even by year five, which means you have more money in it than you put into it. Checkpoint three is make sure you have no more than a 20% expense ratio over 20 years. Um, that was that's your, at least a start. Year one, year five, and year 20? Year one, year five, and year 20. And that's any, any, any life insurance policy has an illustration you can look at to see those yep, numbers. Of course. Um, and yeah. that's, there's some flexibility to that a little bit either direction. But like if you're, if you're 20% off of those benchmark numbers, then you're doing it wrong. And so, yeah. or if you're buying, and here's another thing if you're, if you're buying life insurance and it's keeping you from buying cash flow and other investments, you're also doing it wrong. Life insurance is meant to be a way to manage liquidity. Don't worry about managing liquidity if you don't have any, any liquidity to manage or don't have any other assets above that. So it's kind of like, it, it's like the hierarchy of when we look at it is this is for assuming you have some wealth to manage. Yeah. That's where that fits in is it's the purpose of it is I, I hate to have liquidity earn 0%. And the benefit of having something like a life insurance policy that's highly liquid, it's creditor protected, and we can leverage it down the road, which lets us potentially earn two returns of $1. That makes a lot of sense as a good place to store liquidity. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's one of my, my favorite tools is, yeah. is infinite banking or whatever you want to call it Yeah. Um, to where you own it, but the IRS doesn't think you do because it's a loss, but you can borrow against it. Yeah. And you're well, your and, own bank. And, and, and when it's done right, it's really, really attractive. The issue a lot of people have with it and where I think we, we miss one of the ways we could grow wealth is it's very simple what success in this infinite banking world looks like is it's when, because infinite banking means that you can put money into it, you can borrow money out of it, and the amount that it costs you to own the policy plus the amount it costs you to borrow is less than what you earn. That's success <clears throat> and that's infinite and that's sustainable, which is something, again, our brains want to go ding, ding, ding. And if it's not sustainable, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So a lot of people get into those and look at them like, well, what am I doing? This is going to cannibalize itself because my yeah. cost of the policy is this. My borrowing cost is based on market rates. I can't affect that much. Um, there's no way my policy is going to earn more than that. And so then you either have to borrow less from it or decide you really want a death benefit. So you're okay paying more for this, um, which is usually where people end up kind of getting. And so in that question of like, how does it fit or doesn't it fit? Look at your cost of the policy plus your cost of borrowing and see if that's likely to exceed the gross earnings of the policy over time. If that is the case, then you have infinite banking. If it's not, then you need to do a, a double check and maybe a swipe left on your advisor. Uh. Hey, so, quick question. Something just popped up in my head. Like, so say someone is in that position because they might be listening right now and they're they're like, ooh, things aren't matching up. Is there a way to reset? It was you're already in. It. Oh yeah, there's always a way to reset. There's always a way to reset it. So one, once you're in it, it's not always paying less, but it, you can always reset along the way. And then if you're still in the evaluation phase, you can use this kind of information to negotiate with your advisor because cool. the the change that's made there is typically a 
advisor related change where they reduce the uh, some of the fees that are in it. And that mm-hmm. that is not always a conversation advisors love to have because normally those fees are directly correlated to their conversation. <laughs> but <laughs> but so be it in life. Like my, my job is to make sure that you can invest long term. That's where my mindset the mindset is very different. Is I could care less about selling an insurance policy because that's like step one in the ten piece puzzle that I see for the clients I work with. That's like okay, well this is just a way to manage liquidity. You get that done and fixed. Where you're not getting we're not going backwards because of it. And then the quicker we can get into cash flow, cash flow comes in and flows back in. So let's, I don't want to get, I, if I get into a lot of that, I'll talk on that for hours because I, I hate watching my entrepreneurial friends get screwed over in that industry because yeah. it's, it's one of the ones that I think is really lacking transparency. And so I've done my best to, once I really didn't care if I ever sold another insurance policy again in my life, I just ripped the curtain back and said, hey, here's how you do this. And I have made a lot of friends on the entrepreneurial side and a lot of enemies on the agent side. Yeah. But if we ever need to discuss more of this, if somebody is ever questioning this and is like, hey, I think I might be going down the wrong path, I will literally jump on a phone call with anybody for 30 minutes to explain how this works and make some agent's life you know, difficult because they're trying to screw over an entrepreneur. So if you can prove to me you're an entrepreneur who's about to get screwed, I will go into rescue mode and I will mother hen you until you don't get screwed. So that's that. <laughs> so maybe, maybe what we can do is turn this into another episode. Because um, it's oh, that'd super, be so much better. The tra- that'd be like so a transparency, much thinking. <laughs> a transparency episode. Um, yeah. And and the reason I, I it's so important that I I really want this to happen is because when I was younger, like I was twenty five, and all I was doing was just gobbling up information, right? Yeah. And then I came out of it sounding like a conspiracy theory. I'm like, mom, dad, you got to look at your fees, make sure that they're not making more money than you. And like go to my friends. And like, I was so like, my mind was so blown. It made such a mess. And everyone was just like, all right, whatever, man. And like a lot of people don't understand what's actually happening. All like the breakdown of fees and stuff like that. And it's, and it's not like everybody's got to make money. Everybody can make money. Everybody can win. It's just got to be proportionate. And it's, Here's what it is. And I've, I, I'm going to use this word till I'm blue in the face. It has got to be sustainable. And so mm-hmm. if the fees make this significantly less likely to succeed, we have to adjust. And the problem is, is you've yeah. got to understand what you're doing, what those numbers are, but it's not difficult. And it's something that when you get everybody's interest aligned, it, it's really easy and it's really fun. And so that's another benchmark. I probably haven't mentioned enough. If, if managing your wealth isn't fun, we're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> we, right. we need to, we need to figure this out because it should be fun. Like we're getting to, to be in a very blessed environment. We, we live in an awesome country to live in across the board. I mean, I know there's challenges in any place you live, but like we, we live in an excellent place and an excellent time to be alive yeah, and yeah. we have resources and we understand things that we haven't understood in the past. Like the, the, the fact that we can jump on a podcast and sit here and talk about our hierarchy of needs. Yeah. I mean, realize that like not too many years back the hierarchy of needs were survival and and yeah. like, like we were dealing with like real real issues like now like we're sitting here we're saying okay like hey how can we really make our impact and that's such a yeah. cool conversation to have it, it's a very privileged conversation to have and i fully recognize that and that's where the whole to whom much has been given and as much as required mindset comes from is because mm-hmm. i really do feel like that's a responsibility because we're living in an awesome time to be alive and what's more awesome than to get to not only share that time with you or to have that time for yourself, but to also be able to 
share that mindset and bring others up around you. I think that's the, that's the impact I think most people want. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I ran yesterday for exercise, not because I was being chased by a tiger. (laughs) I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm pretty aware (laughs) that whenever I start sweating and want to quit, I'm just like, well, there's not a tiger. So I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't really need to quit yet. Um, but that's actually one of the motivators I have in my head. I start thinking about all the, yeah, people got caught before me. Uh, <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And, you know, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, we have, um, I think that the, the first step, right? So there, there needs to be, there's an intimidation when it comes to money because mm-hmm. it's really not taught anywhere. You know, they, you know, and when I was in high school, they taught you how to bake, but no one taught you how to balance a checkbook. Like, so it's really weird that there's no like first kiss to finances. There's Mm -hmm. no like getting over that hump to really understand just a little bit. So you can understand a little bit more and further your relationship with your wealth. It's the thing that's actually the engine that is the economy. And if you're going to be a a willing participant in the economy and have a great life because of capitalism, you know, it's a two-way street. You have to, you have to be educated and you have to be understanding on how the tool works so you can, I mean, for no one else, everybody around you, right? If you want to take a selfish, selfish approach, cool, but also you're impacting everyone else, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, I, I think education on these things, obviously, because I have the entrepreneurial hierarchy yeah. of needs. I think yeah. it's a social responsibility yeah. to at least know where you stand. Yep. Whether you do something yep. about it, it's on you. Yeah. Yep. I love that. That's a really good, that's a good thing to point that as a responsibility. I think that's good, a good frame yeah. that for sure. So yeah, and it, it's tough. That first step is tough, but I think a lot of times what I've seen happen is clarity comes from understanding the end vision of where you want to go. So mm-hmm. it, it comes from understanding where you're at today and where you want to be, and then building a, a rough roadmap of that. And it's actually not that terribly, in my mind, it's, it's something that happens just like in an instant. That's just how my brain works. It's always, Hey, where are you at? Where do you want to be? How do we get there efficiently as possible? And I use my library of resources to make that happen. But even if you have none of that, you just can take the time to sit down and say, hey, where do I want to be? What does is, what is my life look like when I do this? And you say, where am I at right now? Like financially, like where am I actually sitting? Like be real with yourself. What debts do I have? What do I have here? What's, what's in play? And, and, and look at that and say, well, how do I get from here to here? Like, what is my number? What is the number that I say, if I had this amount of money coming in free cash flow, what I would, I would not feel like I needed to do anything. And mm-hmm. for some people in the Midwest, that number is $45,000 for some people in yeah. California, that number is 120 for, for some people in other places, that number is 250. I don't care what the number is. It's all, it's all relative. It's irrelevant. Yeah. 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 It doesn't so matter. Pick that number out. It doesn't, it's pick that number out and know what it is. And you look at how you make that happen. And then you can use the tool of the wealth pyramid to, to get to that number very easily. And once you're there, like once you built those two base levels, after that, everything else just flows and gels so easily. And so if I can leave, if I can leave with any advice, that's where I'd, I'd leave is just saying you can build that out very easily. You know, you can figure out where you're at, figure out where you want to go. Use that as kind of your in-between to help provide structure to your roadmap of what you do. And then, you know, there's the, the, the tools I've already listed in the podcast here, what you use to build that pyramid out, yep. you know, cash value, life insurance and savings accounts for liquidity real estate and debt for, for cash flow, And then speculation is whatever you do after that. But those two levels you can build out in a very, very safe, predictable environment over and over again, and then go from there. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily take a lot of money. You know, we it doesn't. Can, no. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, think about like, and this is where it gets crazy is think about from like a real estate standpoint, if your goal is a hundred thousand dollars, if we can do 8% cash flow on real estate or six to 8% cash flow, which is not unreasonable to have, um, especially with leverage and, and debt prices where they're at right now, you know, if we're at 8% cash flow, divide a hundred thousand by eight and you realize like it's, it's 1.25 uh, is what it takes to, to get to a hundred thousand dollars a year of very tax efficient cash flow and have $1.25 million of equity in real estate that's going to appreciate like that, that represents $4 million of real value. And so when we have inflation or appreciation that happens or whatever else takes place, three, four, five years later, you will have all the appreciation plus the principal pay down because your tenants are paying down your rent. Mm -hmm. You have all the nice tax efficiencies that come with real estate. Some of which are really, really incredible right now. That's a whole different podcast of how I, it, I took it, depreciation alone is ridiculous. Oh yeah, I, I had a client I just on a commercial property. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and with the new rules in, from 2017, which will probably sunset here in a year or two, but like I had a client who offset a a two million dollar sale of business almost entirely with going over and buying real estate, and we had to buy a million dollars of real estate to offset a two million dollar sale of business because of the way bonus <laughs> depreciation works and the kind of assets we bought. It, it just it's mind blowing how easy the game can get when you know all the tools to play with. But step so, one is realizing where you're at, where you want to be. So did so he didn't have to pay $2 million. He had to pay $200,000, i am guessing. So he sold $2 million. He was going to pay $400,000 in tax. We took a million dollars of that and bought different assets and things and some tax credits and whatnot. And so his tax burden effectively went to like $25,000. And so <laughs> of, the million dollar, of the million dollar investment, which left him with like $850,000 of equity, uh, half of that or, or almost a, a third to half of 40% of that was paid for off of taxes. And yeah. so it's like, well, well, my risk, like year one, I just got back $300,000 of taxes that I was going to pay. And it's deferred because it's depreciation. So you recapture when you sell, but if 1031s don't go away, we can roll it in the future or opportunity zones are still a thing. There's so many creative ways that, that you can reduce taxes I'm always a fan of deferring them if we if we can um, punt that down the road in Same. in a in a big picture environment. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah. sometimes it makes sense to pay things in, in a current deal. Like in the last three or four years, there were some very low tax rates on capital gains. We paid some of those. Yep. But there's just a lot of cool structures. Like I've got, I, we could talk on this for hours. I I love I love reducing tax burdens. Yeah. And one of my favorite strategies involves a way where you can pay, you know. 90% less tax on selling assets like a business or, or large amounts of real estate. And what it does is it creates a huge future endowment for a charity, but it gives you the ability to continue kind of utilizing it during your lifetime for you and your kids and those sort of things. Yeah. And then when you pass away, you can use like that whole life insurance piece. You can use that to collateralize the loan. And it, it just actually works really, really beautifully. It, it is an art form. And what it does is it lets you, it lets you decide because eventually, eventually the tax burden has to be justified. But what it lets you do is it lets you decide how it's justified. One way is to get to the government and let them choose how to deploy the funds. This other way is you have to do good with that money yourself. I am just such a bigger believer in having control over how the funds are used. It's like, well, mm -hmm. if I can go benefit, hey, it can't be, you can't, I mean, you could. I actually saw this happen the other day on a massive sale. But you, you shouldn't be self-dealing the charities you own and those kind of things. Like you can right. use, you know, bigger, bigger picture things because that's going to, if you do get audited, it's going to make your position rock solid as opposed to looking like you're, you're creating a tax, you know, 
scheme. Luke, but that yeah, being yeah. said, you you can affect so much positive change all by saying, I'm going to utilize my money and be a good steward of it, as opposed to having the government steward the money, which is arguably not the most efficient way to have things done. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Which I, agree. I hope I don't offend any of your listenership with that, but the government is I think not. They'll a good be, I think they'll be money. all right. I think okay, hey, we're, I we're, a bunch of, we're a bunch of thick-skinned. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I agree with that a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Fantastic. Any uh, final thoughts before we jump off? Man, I don't have anything else. I think we covered a lot of ground here today, and I, I just, I, if nothing else, I want to leave the final thought. Is I really, I want to leave this as kind of like a encouragement, edification. I want to pull back something you said earlier. Is the whole responsibility piece. I, mm. I really, really believe in that because I think that like we all have that responsibility to go back and make that positive impact on those around us because we we have a lot of privilege to even be here in the first place. That yeah. being said, is for those of you, for whoever's listening to this, who, who's at that spot, I want to encourage you in, in making your impact. For those of you that are not at the impact level yet, and you're still trying to figure it out and get it done, I want to encourage you too, is that realize that everybody's on the journey. Like you, you probably look around and see people who you think are 20, 30, 40 steps ahead of you in your journey. And they're probably not as far ahead of the journey as you think. Um, remember a guru is someone who's two steps ahead of you in your journey. So you can learn from everybody and we're all on different paths. And so just be, be encouraged in that and knowing that like you being here, and you even having these conversations and thoughts is something that's putting you on the right path and the right route. So don't, don't let, yeah. don't let yourself get discouraged based on the comparison game. I guess one of the, the biggest things we struggle with as entrepreneurs is trying to play that comparison game where it becomes a competitive yeah and not an edifying environment. Um, actually, Tim, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a one last quick story, if that's okay. Can I do that? Hit it, man. We got all the time in the world. I'm yours. I'll, I'll take, Let's do I'll, this. I'll take two minutes. So I want to tell you about one of the most incredible experiences that I, I've had here recently. And I haven't gotten a chance to put this into an email or, or content format yet. So I might as well just speak it to you. And so one of the funds that I run is I run a fund with actually it's with the Capitalism Group. And so we hmm. buy minority shares in e-commerce businesses. And so we raised capital from investors and basically said, we're going to raise capital and we'll tell you what we invest in later. And some people were, were gung-ho enough to say, we'll give you our capital and see if you can do good stuff with it. And so there's a lot of faith, so a lot of really good people. And I kind of cherry-picked the investors we wanted to have in that based on who responded back. We got ones that not only were good people, but could add a lot of value. So sure. that was one piece. So we, we did that. And then we would go out and we'd find these brands from, this is from the capitalism group, from Lions Group, and they had new mm -hmm. brands coming in that were interested in receiving capital investments, but also strategic partnerships. So we kind of created like a mini shark tank, only we're not necessarily having to compete with five other sharks. That was sure. nice. And so that, that's that. So we, we went through and we, we, we got some incredible brands that I'm, I'm super proud to be partnered with. And then the investors are all a very solid investment team. So we had an event in Austin where we got everybody to come together. So all of these brands showed up to do like a backroom workshop where they could go in and, and bring their problems, their challenges and be, you know, look for solutions. We were there to provide educational support to them. But then investors who were interested showed up. And I had a room of 15 people who showed up. And here's what was really powerful to me. In this room, there were, there were, there was at least one I know of who had a nine-figure exit. There was five or so that had eight-figure exits, which means you know eight to ten million in that, and then probably three or four that had you know seven-figure exits. Then there were people who run you know a couple multiple people who run million-dollar-year businesses. So these are all people who, by all rules, do not need to be in that room because they're not in that room because they need to make more money. Mm -hmm. They were there because they wanted to encourage and edify 
those brands. And yeah, they, they do, they're, they're invested in their success, but it's not like their 50 or a hundred thousand dollars they put in, even if we quadruple that is going to make, make a huge needle mover. Um, and yeah. definitely their advice. And so they spent two days with us. These are all powerful people who spent two days and the environment that that brought to everybody of being able to give back was just such a, like, it was such a power. You could kind of feel, feel the frequency of the room was operating at a high, high level. And so I was sitting there and I can remember I had like one point where it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I just kind of like was sitting there I'm looking out around the room. I'm looking at this young entrepreneur who's at the front who's kind of sharing. He's nervous to share because 20 people are looking yeah. at him and like, yep. what yep. am I doing? But I looked out and there's 25 people who are looking at him who are very powerful, like well-to-do people who are locked in, engaged. No one's looking at their phone. No one's over here like annoyed they're there. Everyone's excited for where can they add value. And, and it was just that environment was so, so cool and powerful. And the feedback I got from every single person I talked to was this was so, so cool to have this opportunity to be able to invest back in those. This is one of the most satisfying things that I've done with, with my time and my money and my resources. And I just think that there's knowing, knowing that that's the end goal and like seeing those things happen, like seeing how fulfilling that is. There's lots of ways we can make money together. I get it. But being able to do it in a way where like you can really, you can change the lives of the people around you, that ripple effect is like, well, okay, well, this is 20 people doing that. And that's going to lead to six or seven entrepreneurs being better versions of themselves and going and impacting that. But then they're going to go have their teams and their companies and their products and their audiences are going to be influenced. It's just, it's, it's so mind blowing to think how doing little things right along the way can have such a huge impact. And so that's my last bit of encouragement I want to leave your audience with and leave you with. And and I say it to myself every morning when I forget, (laughs) it's just like the little steps along the way. And it's all, all part of this journey we're on, but being on that journey and being willing to try to invest and share that journey with people, that transparency is something that brings us to a whole different level as a community. And I love it. It, It's, it's, I, I'm totally hitting the heart with what you just said, because it's, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid to ask. So, and I tell some people this, but some people take it a little bit too far to have a healthy disregard for reality. Like if you don't know something already, like at least try yeah. it. But before that, ask, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, yeah. I've, uh, you know, in starting this podcast and stuff like that, I've asked people like, what are your numbers? What can I expect? I get everything but an answer, everything mm. but an answer. And it's like, oh, what do you think I'm going to make fun of you? You want to talk like, like, no, I just, I just want to know. And like, you can tell like, who's, who's hit that level where like, I don't care. Like, I'm just telling you this information because we're, we're um, it's creating a camaraderie and we're, we're learning from each other because the way I'm doing this podcast is totally different than other people are. And I'm going to say, Hey, I messed up. I'm actually making like little videos (laughs) on like what I'm doing wrong. So I can like post them and be like, don't, don't do this and stuff like that. So just having that, that, that round table yeah. to accelerate and, and not be bashful, not be scared, yep. you know, warts and all, man, let's, let's, I yeah. know you're here to help me. That's, that's, we need a lot more of that. A lot more of that. I love that, yeah. man. That's be- beautifully said, Jim, beautifully said. So. Samuel, I appreciate you to the moon and back. Um, yeah. I really want to do a part two with that, the whole, you know, breaking down those, those numbers that we talked about. Um, maybe we'll set that up. 
I'll set that I, up. There's if there's one thing I don't have a shortage of is the uh, ability to talk for fun. I I would I would literally <laughs> Tim, I, I would chat with you anytime. I was disappointed the pandemic kept me out of Austin because my game plan was to play side hustle with you as soon as we could. So that'll be oh yeah that is on my menu when I'm back in town. I expect you to find me some people so we can go try it out with let's with the do real it. entrepreneurs. Let's do it. A few beers, right, a few man, businesses. Thanks, for me on. thanks so much. I appreciate right, you, Tim. Thank you for joining us again. If you haven't already, join our online community. Link is in the show notes. It is the fastest and easiest way to live a highly intentional and satisfied life. Listen, your health, your wealth, your relationships, having fun, and your, the success of your business depend on it. I'll see you in there. Link's in the show notes. Hope you enjoyed the episode.